All right. So, guys, uh, you want to come over to the center or what's up? This is my man. This is uh, J.J. Sherwood, guys. Um, he is a dear friend and uh, uh, part of Five Points uh, Church, and they are uh, partners at Mac Avenue Community Church. Uh, cool story. Uh, the, good, to, good to brag about the humility of this brother. Uh, the way we met uh, uh, some time ago, uh, he, he actually pursued us and was like, yo, I was reading this article, and, um, and to see you guys are, are about uh, the gospel, and you love Jesus, and... Uh, I don't. I don't have an agenda. I just want to connect with you guys and and see if we can um, if we can be about locking arms together for Jesus. Uh, that was basically his posture. It was like I don't. I don't know what I'm calling, but I know I, I like. I love Jesus, and I like people that love Jesus. And and so uh, can we be friends? You know, it was real cool. It was a cool, like little date moment. You know. Yeah. But um, so we we hooked up, and we've been uh, dear friends ever since, man. Just encouraging each other. This brother has encouraged me in the gospel, big time. Uh, we both have the honor. Um, he. Um, pulled me along, which has been a huge blessing of being on the steering committee of, uh, of uh, the Gospel Coalition, uh, the Michigan chapter. And uh, so you got a, a huge treat right here in my man, J.J. Sherwood. So we're going to do, we're going to pray for him, and then uh, we're going to um, be excited about getting into the Word together and learning more about Jesus. All right, guys? So bow your heads with me, please. Lord Jesus, thank you so much uh, for my bro and being able to, to lead by your grace together is, is huge, Lord. We just thank you, and thank you for this wonderful body, uh, the covenant community. Um, we pray that you would uh, use this time to exalt your name. Holy Spirit, fill uh, JJ by your grace. Allow uh, his words uh, uh, to be yours, Lord, that you would be guiding him. Uh, we ask that we would learn more about you, and we wouldn't become smarter, but we would become better worshipers, Jesus. So. We ask that the gospel will be clear and you will be made much of. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Yeah, thank you, brother. It's good to be here this morning. I'm excited. I love your pastors. Um, they're, uh, like we said, like the last years, it's been a joy to get to know them. And I love being here this morning, finally seeing where they minister every week and the community being with you guys. So I appreciate the invitation and a little... Uh, uh, a jaunt into your uh, Proverbs series this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs. And uh, the word proverb, as you're turning there, um, uh, means to be like or to represent. Uh, uh, did they get that Proverbs packet that you sent me? Is that just for speakers? Every, everybody gets a Proverbs packet, all right? So you probably saw in there also that uh, a proverb is a description, all right, by way of comparison. And so another way to think about that is it's just a general picture of reality. They're not promises, uh, but uh, they do have principles that are based in truth. And so they're little pictures, a general picture of reality. Now, how many of you have been to the Woodward Cruise, like this week or maybe yesterday? Are you kind of... Cruisers, one. All right, so this is going to not work. So two. Okay, three. All right, a couple of you. All right, so us three are going to chat about that for a minute. Uh, actually, I hate cars. And so we moved here uh, seven and a half years ago, and, um, and uh, we had to pick up somebody from the church at the airport. And so we live in Auburn Hills, and uh, we were driving to the airport, and our directions took us down Woodward um, on yesterday, Saturday, about seven years ago, right after we'd moved here. Um, and so we were like, what is going on? Like, we knew Detroit was the Motor City, but man, people are driving slow. And there's four lanes just packed with these old cars. We had no idea. We couldn't get off because everything was blocked. There's food carts everywhere. And so we were in, in the stuff, and we had no idea what the Motor City um, really was like the Motor City. And so we got kind of introduced to the Woodward Dream Cruise. And um, when you think about all those cars, I mean, for years and years and years, the cool thing that I do like about cars is that they crash test them. 
Um, and I think that's awesome, launching cars 100 miles an hour into concrete walls and seeing what happens. Um, that's, that's cool. All right, so, um, but the Proverbs are like, are like a crash test that we get to see in Scripture. God in his wisdom allows us to see what life paths are going to be like when we either live righteously or live wickedly. I have a little crash. Did you see it already? Boom. Uh, that's a Lamborghini. Now, I like it when the more expensive cars get crash tests. I think that's even cooler. Um, so that's this, like right here, is a picture in real life of a crash test. Like, those are the, yeah, that's just sad. Look at that beautiful, beautiful car. And it's just done, right? All right? And so that's a little picture. When I think about the topic this morning um, that I got was the righteous and the evil. And the Proverbs uh, consistently holds out two paths of life. There's a path of wisdom that leads to life, and there's a path of folly that leads to death. And over and over, God says, here is a crash test of what happens to the wicked Right at the end of their launching, right? It might be short, it might be long, but at the end, just total destruction. That's what the path of folly holds out to people, right? So over 70 times in Proverbs, we get confronted with these two paths and the choice that we're going to make. Are we going to walk on the path of wisdom or are we going to walk on the path of folly leading to death? And so when we encounter God's wisdom in the pages of his word, even this morning, right here in Proverbs, life and death hang in the balance, Life and death hang in the balance because we're all on a path. That's one of the themes of Proverbs. You're walking on a path this morning. You have to be, and there's only two of them. And so the question is, which path are you on? And over and over, God in his grace says, if you are on the path of folly, you're going to end up like that car at the end, just totally glassed out, no airbags in this life. There's no second chances death, right? Just total destruction. And then they crush those beautiful cars. Like one of you, I'm sure, could have used that much better than just launching it into a concrete wall. But there's no second chances here. So let's look at this this morning. And I don't know about you, but when I saw the packet that I got and the righteous and the evil, there was like a full column pages of verses. So I hope they have supper waiting for us when morning worship becomes all day worship today. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. You won't be here that long, all right? But, so reading in all these verses, I tried to arrive at some general truths about what the righteous and the evil or the wicked, like what God teaches us about himself and our own hearts. So those are kind of my two themes, God and our hearts this morning. So first, the righteous. All right, now I'm, I, there's going to be Proverbs. If you want to flip around, I'm going to read some of them. I'm not going to read some of them so that we're not here um, for dinner so we can get these girls moved and then we can go celebrate an anniversary. I love cake, so I might show up um, two to six down there. And um, so I'm going to try. So some of them are going to be up there and some of them aren't. Um, but if you want to keep notes and look at them later, um, that would be helpful as well. So Proverbs 3.33, I am going to read this one. When we see, right, when we see the righteous in Proverbs, what we do see, the first overall theme is that God's blessing, God's blessing rests upon the righteous. Uh, both in this life and the one to come. All right, so God's real blessing in real life upon real people now and later on the righteous. Proverbs 3.33, the Lord blesses the dwelling of the righteous. All right, Proverbs 10.6, blessings are on the head of the righteous. Uh, Proverbs 13.21, the righteous are rewarded with good. Now, we're not talking about prosperity gospel here, right? I mean, that's a, that's a lie. That's false. It's not follow God and watch him give you lots of stuff. It's not um, give to God and watch him give lots more back to you. 
All right? Now, I don't know uh, many of you very well, but I'm pretty sure that we could share testimonies this morning of how God saved you and how you've suffered. All right? So, but the blessing's real. The Bible's not lying to us. But it's not, if you give a lot to God when we tithe in a little bit, you're going to find an envelope tomorrow in your mailbox with double that. All right? So, what are these real blessings? So the Proverbs are not a promise of uninterrupted bliss due to the removal okay, of all your problems. All right, when you follow Jesus, there is real blessing, real blessing. But we have to go to the Old Testament. I'm not going to read it all, but Deuteronomy 11, all right, especially at the end of the chapter, is the foundation for this blessing language. And it's the same type of thing in Deuteronomy 11 that we see in Proverbs. God holds out two paths to the, his people in Deuteronomy. And he says, I am the Lord your God. Now here's how you can live with me and be blessed in the land. Now we'll tie those two together in a second. Or you're going to disobey and not just do a lot of bad things and be wicked. You're going to go after other gods. Okay? All right, so we have a God who wants to live with his people. Right, and we have another path that says you can disobey and go after other gods. So the righteous are those who live rightly with God. They live rightly with God. How do they do that? A number of verses going to come at you here. Um, Proverbs 8.8. 8, they live rightly with God in their speech. All the words of my mouth are righteous. Not some of them. All the words. So for the righteous, all the words that they speak... They speak rightly, all right? Uh, encouraging to be with. Uh, Proverbs 10, 21. The righteous people are cool to hang out with, right? The lips of righteous feed many. They're encouraging. They don't suck the life out of you, right? When you go out to lunch, you're, you're both blessed physically by the food but refreshed spiritually by the conversation when you're with righteous people. They work for the good of others. Look at uh, uh, Proverbs 11, 9, and 10. I'm just going to read nine. With uh, his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. All right, so the two paths are held out there. The wicked people destroy their neighbors, but the godly, the righteous people are good to be around. They're good neighbors to have. They'll help you out. Right? And, and they'll be a blessing right, to both the wicked people around them and their families, uh, and they deliver people instead of destroying them. They work, uh, or they're just, Proverbs 12, 5. They're kind, Proverbs 10, uh, 12, 10. Now, the verse in Proverbs 12, 10 talks about animals, all right? So they're kind, not just to people, but they're kind to everything, even things that are on the same plane as human beings. They're just kind people. They, they just ooze kindness, right? Sometimes that gets disgusting, Right? When you're like, man, you are so sweet. I, don't think, I, I really think you have no original sin. I know a couple people like that. Um, uh, one of my friends came down. His dad is like that. Um, he's one of our elders. Um, now, he can tell me differently, right? But I think his, even his grandma, she might be the sweetest lady in earth, right? Like, there's just nothing but kindness. I think you could kick her, slap her, and tell her she's ugly. And she'd be like, bless you. Just bless you. Praise God. You know? You know, Jesus loves you. You're just like oozes kindness. You can't... Now, I know when you get in those family, you know, relationships, everyone sins. But there's just something about God's people. When you walk a long time with God, with God, 
You're just, you start to, he starts to rub off on you a little bit, and you're just kind, even to dogs and cats, which I hate. So I'm not, I'm not there yet, because I don't like cats. But the righteous people are kind to animals, and every, every form of life on earth, Proverbs 12, 10. They're content, Proverbs 12, 12. They're content with what they have. They hate falsehood, Proverbs 13, 5. Direct quote, the righteous hates falsehood. They just hate it. Right? Good friends and neighbors, uh, Proverbs twelve twenty six. Uh, one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor in all ways. You can ask for them for sugar, and they'll have pounds of it on hand for you. They're ready for the needs of their neighbors no matter what. Right? My wife is good at this. I'm like, why are we buying this at Meyer? I've never seen that before. Why? Someone might need it. I don't know. You know? No matter what, you know, you're just there. You're ready to be a blessing to anyone who's around you. And they have integrity. The righteous person is integrity, Proverbs 20, verse 7. So overall, uh, one commentator writes, his name's Bruce Walke. He's got a great Proverbs commentary. Um, he says this, the overarching theme of the righteous. The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves right, for the advantage of the community. The righteous people are willing to take one in the face for their neighbors so that they would be blessed. All right? There is a distinct love for others inherent in the righteous person. Overall, I mean, you can just go through all those verses in the Proverbs packet. All of them show how their relationship walking with God leads to an outmoving, outgoing love. All right? So the primary blessing that we keep seeing over and over when we read these Right? is that the primary blessing given to those characterized as righteous is not stuff. It's God. The blessing of the Lord is upon the righteous. Right? And Proverbs, Deuteronomy 11 gives us that foundation. Right? God wants to live with you in the land. All right? So, don't go after gods. Live with me. And when you live with me, you move outwards in love towards your community. Now, the blessing of living with God manifests itself in many ways. And they're real, right? There's goodness, 1123. You have justice, 1131. You're satisfied no matter what's happening around you. Since you have God, you're satisfied. It doesn't matter if you have a little or a lot or someone else got a lot of blessing and maybe you don't have as much in your community. It doesn't matter because you all have God. Right? So you're satisfied no matter what happens. And on and on and on it goes. But you see, these are never ultimate. The things like goodness and justice and satisfaction, they're never ultimate. Because as Proverbs started, verse 1-7, right? The one thing the righteous always remember is that God, God, and God alone is their ultimate good. Right? Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord, what? Is the beginning of knowledge. So the beginning of the path of wisdom is knowing that we don't need a lot of stuff I don't even want a lot of stuff. I want God. All right? And that leads to life. All right? So Charles Bridges wrote um, that the fear of the Lord is that affectionate reverence right, by which the child of God humbly bends himself, uh, and hum- uh, child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's love. So this reverence of the righteous comes from who God is. So who is God this morning? If he's our ultimate good... Why are we going to pick him over everything else that we can pick in this life? Look at some of these reasons that the Proverbs hold out to the righteous people. Um, Proverbs 3, uh, 19. 
It says, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. And it goes on, he's transcendent. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. And then he says, my son, don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of who God is. He made everything, including you, and he controls everything. He rules over all things. Proverbs 21, verse 1 says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. God's in charge of everything and everyone and every government. Even the chaos in Egypt right now, God is not absent. He's reigning over it, and it's going to work out for the good of those Christians in Egypt and the rest of the world for those who love him, right? And he's sovereign, sovereign uh, Proverbs 16, 4. He's omniscient, Proverbs 5, 21, says... Uh, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The Lord knows, right? He knows all things. Your ways are before his eyes, even right now. And he's holy, Proverbs eight thirteen. So that's what draws that reverence to us. But if we're just left there, that's a little scary to be face-to-face with the God who rules over all things, who made you and can take you out. Right? But he doesn't just want the reverence. He wants our hearts. Right? He wants an affectionate reverence. So their affection comes from what he does for his people. What does he do for righteous people? Look at um, Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So God loves the righteous, sets his love upon him, even in those times when he's disciplining. He sustains us. Proverbs ten twenty seven says, uh, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. So when we begin to see God as our ultimate good, we see that he sustains us. Every breath, your next heartbeat is coming from God, not from the electronic impulses in your brain. He protects us, Proverbs 18.10. He's merciful, Proverbs 28.30. He delivers the righteous, Proverbs 20.22. And so God is the source of all these gifts or reward. And if God's the source, what's better? The gifts or the giver? Right? If God's the source of all things, what would you rather have? The things that run out and you need them new every day? Or the one who's got plenty storehouses waiting for you? Fullness of joy, right? We're created, right? So these verses help us to see a fundamental reality that no matter who we are, we're created beings and we were created to put our hope in something. We're created to put our hope in God. And the righteous do that every day. The righteous would rather have everything taken away from them as long as I can have God. I'll be okay, right? We just sang that song. Find in thee my, what? All in all. It's not just a little, it doesn't just rhyme, it's true. (laughs) Right? All I have is Christ. We sing it and I love it. But the righteous mean it and they live like it every day. Every day. All right? So Proverbs 10, 24, I put them up here um, in 28, kind of wrap this part up for us, right? So the desire of the righteous will be granted. The hope of the righteous brings joy, right? It doesn't promise you stuff because when you see that the blessing is primarily God, you're gonna, he wants to give you himself. 
He's not going to withhold the greatest good from you if you seek it in him. Right? And then Proverbs 37, 3 through 4 help us out here what these Proverbs mean. Trust in the Lord and do whatever you want. No, do good. So when your trust is in the Lord, you're free to do good. You're free to bless your neighbors. You're free to give away everything. You're free to be faithful. Dwell in the land and be, friend, faithfulness. Because when you delight yourself in the Lord, he's going to give you the desires of your heart. More and more and more. The righteous person desires God most. And he knows that in his presence is fullness right, of joy. So many times in this life, it seems, though, that the righteous only get rewarded with pain. The righteous only get rewarded with trials. The righteous only get rewarded with suffering. But I think that just kind of reveals how easy it is for our hearts to delight in the gifts of God rather than in delighting ourselves in Him and who He is. When we start focusing on all the circumstances and situations around us, it's a grace that God gives you to open your eyes and says, I'm not gone. I haven't left you. The blessing, the blessing is still here. The blessing is not found in the stuff, whether it's lots or little. In my presence is fullness of joy. So what about you this morning? What are you trusting in? Where's your hope? Right? In the end, God promises that the righteous will get what they desire most. And that's God. The righteous, so, so as we wrap up the righteous, then the righteous live rightly, right? And they hope in God alone. And so they are then free to submit themselves to God's way in his world, right? Every day in all things. So their hope, instead of being uh, something that looks weird or strange, which it does to the world around us, but that hope actually frees us. Because then we're not enslaved to all the things that this world has to offer. We're not enslaved to our trials. We're not enslaved to depression and sadness. When we go through all those things, we have God. All right. So the righteous hope in God, and that hope that's internal, uh, shows up in their real lives, external, and how they live with God and with others. All right. So that's kind of the righteous. That's a lot. All right. I don't know. Any questions? Any comments? I hope not. I'm convicted already. All right. So now living the opposite of the righteous are the wicked, right, or the evil or the evil doers. And not only do they live in opposition, um, opposite, right, opposite of the righteous, they live in opposition to God. So everything the righteous do is the, the wicked does the opposite. All right. So they live in iniquity and they're fast bound by it. Uh, Proverbs 5, 22 says, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. Even if they don't think they're enslaved, they're enslaved. Because there are hopes and stuff that's just going to be gone, maybe, before we end the service if God comes back. Proverbs shows us many ways that we could fight against living with God in his world. So first, Proverbs 6, 12, um, they're worthless and their speech is worthless. And not only is it just worthless, the word worthless means it brings destruction. It just leaves, it lays waste. That's why it's worthless. It's like a garbage dump when a wicked person leaves after they get done talking. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech because their words twist reality. They're crooked speech. 
They say things that aren't true, not just um, because they're wrong, but because they're living in opposition to God. And so they're twisting what reality really is. They're lying to themselves and trying to bring along anyone who will go along with it. Right? They want a pleasure-filled life. The wicked, wicked people want pleasure because that's what you were created for. You were created for joy. And the righteous finds their joy in God first and being blessed with his presence. Right? But the wicked say, well, there is no God. And so they want pleasure still, but they want it autonomously from God. But look at what, look at what um, the, the Proverbs 10.3 says. The Lord doesn't let the righteous go hungry, not just physical, but with that joy, that pleasure they're seeking because their presence and God's presence is fullness of joy. But he thwarts the craving of the wicked. They want something apart from God. There is no integrity. There is absence of moral integrity in the wicked people. Everything they do has zero moral integrity, Proverbs 11.5. They give advice. Let's turn to Proverbs 12. If you do have your Bible, let's spend just a couple of minutes in these two verses. Proverbs 12, 5 and 6. All right? So this is what God's wisdom says right, about wicked people. Um, they give advice that deceives others to advance themselves. Look at verse 5 in chapter 12. The thoughts of the righteous are just, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Okay? So when their neighbors come over, or when their co-workers come in, or when their boss comes in, or when their mom comes in, or when their wife comes in, or when their kids come in, wicked people are so self-centered that even when they don't know they're doing it, their advice deceives because they want themselves at the center. Right? So wicked people will, if the righteous disadvantage themselves for the betterment of the community, wicked people disadvantage the community to put themselves at advantage. Right? So when the boss comes in and he's asking for your advice, a wicked person gives advice that is sneaky and slippery and deceitful so that if he falls on his face, I'm in line for a promotion. Or when it's your wife or when it, you're, and you, you want to look good in front of your kids, so you take your spouse out in front of your kids so that they like you better. Right? The wicked people operate like that where they are only focused on advantaging themselves to the destruction and deceit of everyone else. And look at this. This is where we get that from. Verse 6 says, The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood. So their motives don't just stand and stay in the realm of words. They really want to see their neighbors destroyed. As, as long as they can't use them anymore. The wicked people see people as tools to get what I want to better myself, and then when you're done, well, psh, I don't care. What's your name again? And then you destroy, they lie and wait for them. Right? So their hope, the hope of the wicked, right, leads to counsels that don't just destroy, but destroy people. They're cruel, Proverbs 12.10. They see falsehood, on Proverbs 13, 5, as an opportunity. They don't hate it. They see it as an opportunity to advance themselves. And how about their view and use of their wealth and possessions? Because for us, especially in, in America and in the Western culture, man, the, our view of money and possessions really gets at the root of where our hearts are at. So what, is, what does Proverbs say about how the wicked use their wealth? They do anything for a quick dollar, right? And they keep it to themselves. Uh, Eleven eighteen. The wicked earns deceptive wages. They, and, and then they keep it to themselves. Because it says the righteous is one who sows. The one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. All right? So that sowing is when you spread the seed. So a righteous person earns wages and then uses it to glorify God in all things. Because he doesn't need his money. He's got God. 
All right, but a wicked person hoards it all, gets it all deceptively, and then is not sowing it around. They just sit on it as much as they can, and they keep it to themselves. They long for the giant payday, uh, 12-12, so they can live without having to rely on God. That's why they deceptively earn it. They don't want to live with God. They don't want to acknowledge that God is real. So how can I live like that in a world where God created? Well, I've got to get as much as I can so I can find my security and be okay and have long life and lots of joy by buying my stuff so I can forget about God and show everyone that I don't need him because i got everything I need right here in my bank account. So the wicked live for a giant payday so they can live without having to rely upon God. 12.12 12 says, whoever is wicked covets the spoils of evildoers. So wicked people look at everyone else and say, I need that and I need that and I need that and I need that. And then the next day, they're like, okay, I'm going to do anything I can, deceiving my friends to get that stuff. And then next month, I'm going to get that and that and that and that. And they keep coveting the spoils. But the righteous, right? Verse 12, but the root of righteousness bears fruit. So the righteous people live to be spent. They, have, they bear fruit. That's a blessing to everybody else. And so a question for us to ask ourselves is, when we're involved in a community like MacAv or my church at Five Points, am I more looking to get from people or am I looking to be spent? We just heard about some interns. One of them, you know, was running on fumes at the end. But we should be there every day. We should love to be spending and being spent with our time and our talents, not just our money, but with our time and our talents. What are we doing with what God has had us? You, you might only have one day. This might be your last day. Would you rather be sitting out in the field just soaking up the rays? Or would you rather spend it serving one of your brothers and sisters? I'm trying to get people to help you move. All right? <laughs> That's right, right. What do you want to be known for? Yeah. What, what do you want this life to be about? You want to be known at the like Scrooge in, in the, in the um, whatever the thing is. Yeah, Christmas Carol. Thank you. Just miserly. Thank you. I appreciate that, brother. Right? Just miserly. Piles of gold. You won't even spend that. You spent your whole life accumulating. Now you're just sitting on it. You won't even buy anything with it. Or do you want to be someone who's known as one who relies so much, their hope is so much in God, that they blessed anybody who touched them? There's 15 people you might walk past on your way out of church. And then I don't know how many neighbors you have. But are you a blessing every time they come into contact with you? Do you give them a little taste of your hope in God? That you're so free from the things that this world has to offer that they actually see, I'm enslaved. How are you living so free? I thought Christianity was all about rules and religion and law and wasting your Sundays at church. And you're the happiest person I know. So what do you want this life to be about? The righteous live to be spent while the Wicked live to, at the end, crash into a concrete wall and leave with nothing. All right, the wicked look for satisfaction in things that can never satisfy. So if we have righteous people on the one hand, if we're getting all points and you like the notes, um, I'm not, I don't do well with that, but I'll try and help you out. The righteous hope in God alone, right, and they're satisfied just with him, and if he gives blessings and things, great, but I know at one point he's coming back. And I'll spend eternity with joy after joy after joy unending. Right? And the wicked people only look for satisfaction in things that can never satisfy. They long for the fullness of joy, 
that can only be found in God's presence because that's what they were created for. That's what you and I were created for. But they, the wicked, put their hope in anything but God and then suffer the consequences, right? Proverbs 21.10 sums it up. The soul of the wicked desires evil. So why all the frauds? Why all the falsehoods? Why all the fakeness? Why are wicked people living like this? It's to evade reality. They want to evade reality. They don't want to just evade it. They want to create a new one. They're fighting against God. They want to create a new one. Then the, the reality the wicked want to create is one that is to their advantage, or their God. Right? And that's the greatest lie in the universe. And it's one that's been told since the Garden of Eden, and it's one that you and I have been repeating to each other and to ourselves ever since. Right? Sin without regrets, because God doesn't exist. Sin with no consequence. This, is, this life is all there is, so sin with no consequence because there is no God. The soul of the wicked desires evil. The rest of that verse says, his neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. So a wicked people, wicked, the wicked person, doesn't only run God out of their lives and knock him off his rightful throne of their hearts, right? But they will trample on anyone else who stands in the way of getting what they want, which is namely themselves. So either way, the wicked, right, instead of life, they leave trails of destruction because wicked people only see their fellow man as either tools or obstacles to getting what they want. And God tells us they will ultimately reap what they will sow. Proverbs 14, 32. The wicked is overthrown, not just by God, but through his evil doing. They're cursed. Right? So if Proverbs 3.33 says the Lord's blessing is upon the house of the righteous. The Lord's curse is upon the house of the wicked. They will come to ruin, right? And that's um, like driving down into Detroit. You just see pile. You can see piles of rubble. That's what the word ruin means. There's nothing left. There's, you can tell there was something there. But now it's just ruined. They will rot, Proverbs 10.7. They will perish, Proverbs 10, 28. And God will bring them to an end as easily as he blows out a candle on a birthday cake. Right? So the wicked think that they're something big. right? And they're fighting God with their whole life. And at the end, Proverbs 13, 9, the light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. Just like that. 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. However the Lord... Uh, however long the Lord gives them, at the end, the wicked are just blown out like nothing. And all that's left is that little smoke. That's what the wicked will reap. And there's a reason for this. It's because our God reigns. God reigns, right? There's no other reality to live in or create. God reigns. And even though the wicked fight and rail against him with everything they have, they cannot prevail because God reigns. Proverbs 16.4. Look at Proverbs 16.4. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. All right. So the wicked, right, are creatures under the almighty, sovereign God and his control. They're created. He's the creator. Right? God sovereignly reigns over all things because he created them, and he's going to use their very acts of wicked rebellion for his purposes and his glory. He's bringing it all about. 
for his grand purposes to glorify his name in the face of his son, Jesus Christ. Right? So, it may seem, right? It may seem like the world's out of control, that evil abounds, that the wicked are prospering, and the righteous are getting, you know, slaughtered. Churches are burning right now in Egypt. God's people are being killed as they stand from in other parts of his world. It seems like everything is out of control, but know this, Mac Avenue, that God is bringing everything. Even right now, this very second, he's not off his throne, he's bringing everything right now to its appointed purpose. And one day, one awesome day, right, he will wipe out evil from the face of this earth. Right? And we'll see him face to face. And the wicked will be judged, and the righteous will be given life eternal in the presence of God, and both will be to the praise of his glory. Right? So that's the, the wicked right? and the righteous. And so as we kind of get to a wrapping up point, and by that I mean I still have a few uh, pages of notes, but um, you, know how, you know how we preachers are, right? So now as I stand there and look at those, um, I don't know about you, but uh, when I'm confronted with the truth of God's word, I get a little nervous, right? I realize that I'm in trouble because I often put myself um, in the place of God in my life. I often trust in myself rather than God alone uh, when Monday morning comes or when it's like Thursday night and it's been a rough week. I often realize that I put my hope in my possessions. And a lot of time I'm working for more things rather than working to be spent. I, I realize that I have disadvantaged my communities, my friends, and sometimes I've even disadvantaged my, my family as I've sought to advantage myself. And so I begin thinking, well, I've got to find myself on the non-crash test side of reality. Um, And so how can I get on the right side of this contrast? But look at Romans 3 with me. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans 3. This is what what, um, God says about you and I. There is none righteous. No, not one. Nobody. No one can go through all the Proverbs and say, yep, 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 yep. I'm good. No, no one. No one understands. We don't even understand, really, fundamentally what God is looking for. We, we can't fathom the holy righteousness he is asking of us, second by second by second by second. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Remember we said the, the, the wicked person is worthless because they destroy everything. They leave everything worthless behind them. So there's Proverbs 6.12 right there. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. There is no fear of God before their eyes, Proverbs 1.7. That's what the Bible says about the true status of you and I's hearts. That there is none righteous. Nobody. We're all on one path, and it's not the righteous one. We're all wicked in his sight. There's no wiggle room here. Look at these words. None. Not one. No one. All. It's like if you're not getting the picture, you know. Like I'm going to say it like seven times in different ways. All of us. All of us. Me included. 
Pastor Eric, the ones who's God called to be up here and teaching, we're, we're just as wicked as everyone else's hearts outside of God, right? The fool says in his heart, there is no God, all right? And we live our lives like it. And the wicked do, right? And that's you and I. And that's the indictment against us all. We are not righteous. There's a path held out to us, but you're not on the one you thought you were when you came in, maybe. And your heart, left by itself, we'll get to Jesus in a minute, amen? <laughs> right? But left to ourselves, we are not righteous. Seventy times, right, before Jesus, right, the Proverbs were given to a people who couldn't pick the right path. They were wicked. And that's why Paul goes through it. The, the Jews, God's people, thought they were righteous, Right? And so there, right there in, Proverbs, or in Romans 3, verse 9, it says, both Jews and Greeks. So I don't care what religion you are. You're all wicked. There is none righteous. We don't seek uh, God. And in fact, it's not just passive. It's not that we just don't seek him because we're fig- finding other things to do with our time. We've all turned aside. You and I, left to ourselves with no grace, right after we get out of here, we don't even have to wait till tomorrow morning, we would pick to choose something other than God. We would turn aside without his sustaining grace. We'd actively reject it. And we put our trust in ourselves and in the way we live, Monday through Saturday, right, would proclaim there is no God. We're all fools. We're all wicked and evil at heart. We all deserve what lies at the end of the path of the wicked. We all deserve death. And God would be just in destroying us. And he would be just without leaving us any hope of deliverance. All right, but, right, there's always a but. But God, in God's great grace, right, even here in Romans 3, his judgment upon people is not the last word. Him calling you wicked does not have to be the last word. Romans 3 doesn't even end with this indictment, right? Even though all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, verse 23, right? Fall short of that glorious, holy righteousness of God. There is a way of redemption. Even this morning, right now, God hasn't stopped working in his sustaining providence. And it's not about trying harder or giving yourself back on the path of wisdom because we can't. We can't do it. Our hearts are full of evil wickedness and we love it. It's not that we just you know, don't know what else to do. We love it, right? But as I ran my hellbound race, I wasn't walking down the path. I wasn't sauntering down it. I loved it. I love showing God that I could be God and he needs to get out of my life. And without God powerfully intervening, we'd continue to fight and run and rebel in our blindness. There is no hope inside you and me. None. We need a savior. One who can win us redemption and salvation. And look at verse 25. God doesn't leave us and say, you're wicked. Run down that path and find death. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his own blood. The judgment against wickedness is death, right? And God sent his only son, the righteous one, Jesus, to a bloody death on a cross to make a way for wicked sinners to come back into his presence and find what they were created for, to live with God. All right? And so what, what I 
could never do, right? And what I could never be, what you could never do, and what you could never be, Jesus Christ did and is, right? For me and for you and for those who will, by faith, receive this redemption. So the way, right, the way to be righteous then is not by doing more and learning all these proverbs and trying to go out tomorrow and I'm going to do every one of this and I'm going to check my list off at the end of Monday and say, I was pretty righteous today. Right? It's by faith, receiving and living in someone else's righteousness, in the righteousness of our Savior, Jesus. Right? But that doesn't mean we don't do anything. Right? That doesn't mean we, don't, we just get to sit here and say, oh, I'm righteous, now I'm going to go live however I want. Right? The righteous do live righteously, but they do it first by faith. Right? And then second, they do it with God. They want more of God. They want to walk tomorrow with God. They want to walk this afternoon with God. They want to spend this evening with God. They want to spend a moment outside his presence. Whether you're raising kids or grilling or moving people, right? Or celebrating an anniversary. We want to do it with God. And so often you and I shut him out. It's so hard, right? But it's by faith. Living in a posture of affectionate reverence. It's not about always consciously, oh, I forgot God. It's, it's our hearts. Where are our hearts focused on? What are our hearts hoping in? It's an affectionate reverence that moves out in love as we move more in love with our God, right? So we pursue no other thing. As we close, now I am going to really close, all right? Proverbs, M- Matthew 6 really helps me out with this because I like to get my hands on something. Like I need a handle, okay? And so what we see in Matthew 6, is Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God. And everything else will be added to you. Right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? That righteousness that we need to find ourselves on the path that ends in life, right? So the things in this verse are what the wicked live anxiously about. They live anxiously about food. They live anxiously about what they're going to drink. They live anxiously about what they're going to wear. They live anxiously about their house. They live anxiously about their car that their roommate wrecked, right? Sorry, I just, you know, didn't mean to pick on you there, right? They live anxiously about everything, that last cent in their bank account. That's all they do is they worry, worry, worry. But those in Christ, the righteous, right? When you walk in and you see your Savior and what he did for you, and you know who God is and what he's done for us, right? It frees us from all the cares and concerns of this world to put our hope in him alone, I actually can find my all in all in him. He is all I really need. All I have is Christ. And that's great because that's all I was made for. Right? So the kingdom and his righteousness, the one thing that shapes my life now, I don't need to pursue anything else. I don't need to worry about this stuff. Right? God's got it. He's in control of everything. I'm not even in control of my own house. Right? I got a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a nine-month-old. Right? I don't have any control, right? It's all fake, right? They act like they're listening to me. As soon as I turn around, they're hitting each other, and, you know, right? It's all fake. I'm trying to create this reality of control, right? But God's got it. He knows what you need. He knows what you need tomorrow, if there is a tomorrow. I don't know, but he knows if there's a tomorrow. And is he faithful? That's the question, then, as we end today. That's the question for you and I. There's a way to live that we can seek God first and his righteousness 
and not worry about the things that the wicked worry about and start living in the righteousness that Jesus bought for us at the cross. That's to ask the question as we close, is God faithful? Yes, (laughs) he is. And if that's the question we can ask ourselves, right, then we can submit to God's ways in God's world, right? Not just in what we do, but in what I hunger for, what my hope is. When I get up tomorrow morning, what am I going to trust in? And so if Jesus redeems us and frees us to delight ourselves in God over all the other things, right, the way to keep uh, that's helpful for me that I found when studying Proverbs, right, and the righteous and the wicked, is that I need to ask myself, is God faithful? And that I can trust him with my very life, right, because he was faithful to his son on the cross. He didn't leave him on the cross and in the ground. He raised him up and ushered in a new reality, right? I don't need to question and wonder if God loves me. He killed his own son because he loves me. So if I, if I can be with a God who would not only kill his own son to rescue me, right, because I got a nine-month-old son, right, and I think that even if I was your pastor and I'd been here for 20 years, I still, I still wouldn't give him up for one of you, right? But God gave his only son for you. And you and I, when we run to other things and when we live anxiously about the things the wicked live anxiously about, it reveals that you and I don't really believe that he loves us or that he's going to be faithful or that he actually is all I need. Right? But Jesus promises when God is our sole ambition, he will provide all that we need. Namely, himself. He wants to give you him, which is way better than any goodness or wealth or justice, or peace, or anything else that's temporary in this life. In the end, God promises the righteous will get what they most desire. And in the end, the wicked will get what they most desire as well. So we hold out the question to you as we finish this morning, which path are you on? Find your righteousness in Christ this morning and finally live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We love your word. God, without it, we would be lost. We'd never find our way. And we'd run into a solid concrete wall at 100 miles an hour and not even realize it was right there. And destroy our lives and destroy our friends and destroy our communities and leave everything in utter ruin. But God, in your great grace, gave us the righteousness that we need. So help us be a people, both Five Points and Mac Avenue, that we would be a people who hope in you alone. That all I have is Christ wouldn't just be a song, but it'd be a reality. That Jesus paid it all would be the truth that we would go in and live in and be freed from the cares and concerns of this world to find in you our all in all. May it be, God, give us what we have not. Give us, make us what we aren't yet in Christ. And by your grace, Lord, continue to walk with us as we pursue to be a people who live with you as our God and reject the gods of this age, we pray.